Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we will go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron grits. Welcome to Gridiron Grits Football History and its Memorabilia on the Gridiron Grits Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swift, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for the largest selection of football memorabilia and cards on the web, msbsportscards.com. And also by BSD Auctions. Check out their website for the upcoming uh, fall auction at bsdauctions.com. It is at this time. I would like to introduce my co-host. He is a senior contributing writer. Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in free World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails across the country from Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show. Captain, how are you, sir? I'm very good. We have a, a hot, humid June day here in Connecticut, one of the few that we get. Very interesting. I mean, I'm in... I'm embracing my new uh, senior contributing writer title at Gridiron Greats. I had some cards made that I'm going to be handing out at the National. I've had several people comment on it, and they've said they said uh, they, they were also impressed that you are now a senior contributing writer. You, you've written a lot for the for the magazine <laughs> since I took over. So there's there's a lot of lot of stuff you've uh, contributed to. Also, you've contributed with uh, helping other people with their articles also. So, you know, you've, you've done yeah. a lot with the magazine. And I appreciate it. I thank you for that. that that's oh, I love it. It's, well, a, keeping, it's a labor of keeping, love. Keeping the word of football, cards, and memorabilia and history alive in the world today. Good answer. <laughs> Without a doubt. As, I, as we were talking about before uh, the show started uh, briefly, it's it's kind of a slow time 
for football cards and memorabilia and, and the magazine itself. Uh, and I and basically buying the mail and emails go down this time. Time for me to get a little caught up with everything. And we just started working. Actually, this week we were on vacation for a couple of weeks. Came back home, uh-huh. and we started working on the national issue. Uh, national being in Chicago, which is technically Rosemont, Illinois, uh, to that location again. And I guess next year mm-hmm. it's back in Cleveland, which will be interesting. And uh, so, anyways, we're getting started on that. We're going to have a lot of uh, good information in the new magazine. Interesting articles and the like and again uh once i found out where our table is i will uh be broadcasting that to check us out at the national i'll be there set up wednesday through saturday and we're coming and flying in on tuesday and yes brenda will be coming with me this this year she'll be making a appearance at the national perfect let's talk about the 35 National Trickle Set. We've talked about it briefly in the past. Let's look at it again. Digging in on the trickle. It's it's so funny because uh, tongue in cheek, you know, I, I've mentioned I collect uh, uncut sheets. My my uh, my collecting habits have drifted to that. Uh, and whenever people ask what my white whale is, it's uh, it's the 35 Trickle uncut sheet, second series preferably. <laughs> but, I mean, wow. because because some friends of mine have joked around. Probably about five six years ago, I, w- I, I started asking people if they knew how to you knew what the uncut sheet of a forty eight leaf looked like. I, I had I'd been collecting miscut leafs for you know probably five six years. You'd, you'd find a miscut card and you could see what the you know what the you know another adjacent card was uh, if it had writing on it. And it was always weird when people have grossly miscut cards on on eBay or something, and I'd email them and you know hey do you have a can you send me a scan of the back. Uh, you know, just to see how grossly miscut it was. And after a while, I had a good idea of how the, how the leaf uh, sheet looked. And then I started a topic on uh, one of our chat boards. And, uh, and you know, before long, there was a, you know, Mike with, uh, uh, geez, Mike Thomas, uh, forget, forgetting uh, who he's with, but he put together what the uncut sheet looked like. And lo and behold, uh, uh, an uncut sheet of 48 leaf in about four pieces came up on eBay and I bought it. I pulled the trigger on it immediately. So one of my pride and joys is this 48 leaf uncut sheet that's in about four pieces. And it's obviously two uncut sheets uh, that have been, you know, kind of, you know, d- two different sheets because there's some overlap of about four cards on them. All right. Uh, is, it, is that, is that the full set that you bought? For the forty-eight leaf in the sheet, it is. You it's, have every card. Yep, it's both. Okay. Every, yep, both series. I'm missing one card off of it, uh, but like I said, it's two sheets that have overlap. Okay. Uh, you know, of about right. three cards, but yeah. So you know, somebody was joking around the other day. It's like you should start a thread asking people how to put together the chickle set. You know, the sheet, uh, because last mm-hmm. time you did that, the leaf sheet appeared. So I I figured it'd be a good chance to talk about you know the chickle set and the uncut sheet because no one has ever seen an uncut sheet. No one knows how this was assembled. Right. Right. Uh, fairly right. certain it's in two series. There's 36 cards in the set, so fairly fairly certain they were cut on you know two sheets of 18, which is odd for the. Uh, which is, you know, very odd for the, uh, you know, for how they manufacture it. But if you look at some of its sister sets, you know, the, you know, uh, the non-sports sister sets, I mean, they were printed on two separate sheets of of 18 as well. So you you can see the population. I got a question for you. I know you're pretty heavy 
into uncut sheets and give the, our audience just a rough uh, rough description of your uncut sheet collection because it is uh, <laughs> phenomenal to say the least. So, I we're we're moving and uh, I keep most of my uncut sheets in you know in, in the tubes they show up in and uh, you know and you know and then what I'll do is I'll consolidate you know like four, mm-hmm. four or five uncut sheets down to one roll. Or moving, so I had to move that collection, and I decided it was easier to you know store it somewhere now than that. So at my office, I built a uh, up on top of uh, up on top of the offices. I laid down some uh, you know some MDF board, which is a nice smooth board. Put a plastic uh, you know thing over it, and then I unrolled these sheets and put them up there, and then put another piece of MDF over the top and try and lay them flat because uh, wow. they are a bear to store and. I had my son help me take him to the office and we had this little thing where we'd unroll them on a, you know, on a, on a desk and take a picture of them. And, and then I'd climb the ladder and go up there and put them up. There. <laughs> wow. uh, I made it about wow. halfway through. I, I estimate I have between 425 and like 500 uncut sheets ranging from wow. you know, leaf to wow. leaf to Bowman, you know, Philadelphia. I have a, the partial uncut sheet from 65 tops that I talked about last episode wow. that has Joe Namath on the wow. top. I remember that one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, 57, so, 57 tops uncut sheet that I uh, included in an article on the 57 set uh, probably about right. you know right. a year ago. And that one I have framed. It sits in my office. It's one of my favorites. But, so you probably, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably have the largest football card and memorabilia collection in Oregon right now with everything you have. And I never realized the sheer volume of sheets that you had. I knew you had quite a few. I never realized it was that many. Uh, that, that's truly amazing. You know, I, I go back to the late 80s. I was at a show, and a dealer had about a half a dozen strips of 1960 Fleer football cards and 10-card strips. And yeah. I forgot what I paid for it. I can look, look it back. It wasn't that much. He wanted to get rid of them because they were starting to get nasty on the sides because there was no way really to yeah. store them or anything. And I held on to them over the years. I, I basically sold them over the years at the same time. Very surprised at what I got on a lot of them. They were, you know, a lot of a lot of collectors really liked them because they're, they're an unusual piece. But to have that many uncut sheets is just uh, amazing, truly amazing. And you would you would definitely have the the granddaddy of them all, if he did find that 35 chickle sheet. And I, I have no record of it anywhere. Over the years, I've never seen anything even resemble, you know, a two or three card cut of the sheet itself. So that, that's truly amazing. A, a friend of mine about three months ago said, if you weren't the co-host of Gridiron Greats, you would make a hell of a guest. So. <laughs> Very true. Which is, Very which true. is kind of funny. <laughs> So, and the other, but, the other, yeah, the, the other thing about the other thing about the thirty-five chickle, which I, I I understand yet I don't understand. Maybe you could educate our audience a little more about it. There's in theory twelve high numbers. So if there are two sheets of eighteen and eighteen, are there actual double prints on that second sheet? And would you have any idea of what those double prints are? Yeah, I, I think there is, and you can you can literally draw a line. That's a great question. You can literally draw a line uh, where the cards start to get difficult. Uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, you know, the, the number two card, the Bo Melinda, is very difficult right. to find. No idea why. 
maybe it's a corner, maybe, you know, you just don't know. Dutch Clark is tough to find. He's a Hall of Famer. That's a rookie card. It's pretty high population. So perhaps it's just because he's popular. You know, you could go back to, you know. uh, But literally, you can draw a line. And it's somewhere, it starts to happen around Clark Hinkle, the number 24 card, and Dale Burnett, number 25 card. So in all actuality, out of the 36, two-thirds of it, uh, are pretty high pop, one through 24. So you'd almost think mm-hmm. that there is a double print of those, you know, two thirds, and then, and then it gets, then it gets, it gets a little difficult. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, Dale Burnett card number 25 uh, is one of the hardest to find. The Bolt, the Bolt, Bolt Hosey card number 27 is probably one of the rarest and hardest cards to find in the set. You know, you, you think 35 Chickle, you immediately think of Bronco Nagurski. But in all right, actuality, right. Boltosi, uh, Bernie Masterson, those are the those are the bear cards to get in the set. Uh, I, I think there's like four PSA eight Boltosis. Uh, I, I've only seen one, you know, since I've been collecting, mm-hmm. and it was a very ugly PSA eight. So they're out there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a tough card. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I when I was collecting that set, and I tried tried on and off three different occasions. I, I tried collecting, and then I sold them off. Uh, I did have the Masterson's card the last time. It was raw, mm-hmm. and it wasn't in bad shape. It was, I would grade it like PG. None of my cards were were graded. Uh, but you're right. The Tossie card, I've never really seen. I mean, I, I've seen maybe online a few times, but at all the shows I've been to over the years, I, and even back when you could pick up tickles pretty reasonable, I never saw number one. I never really saw any high numbers, and his card yeah. I really never saw at all. Really never saw at all. No, unless it was yeah. an auction or whatever type of thing. Yeah. Several, so that, that's several pretty, years ago, interesting. Several years ago, I was putting this set together in PSA eight, uh, which was no easy task. Uh, and you know, the first you know one through twenty four were pretty easy, and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then you then you started getting you know Burnett's Ernie you know Ernie Cadell McMurdo Costa Costa, these were hard cards in PSA and uh, and it, it took me a long time. I finally found a PSA seven Nagurski and then uh, and then at one point uh, I upgraded that PSA seven to a PSA eight Nagurski, which was the cornerstone of my uh, of my collection for quite a few for quite a few years. There were two cards that I couldn't I couldn't nail, and that was the Tosi. I, I didn't even have a Tosi and the Bernie Masterson. I had that in PSA seven. Uh, and, uh, and I was very, very happy with my PSA seven. <clears throat> and probably about four years ago, I decided to three, probably about three years ago. I decided to, you know, I don't need this in PSA eight. And I started selling cards off and, uh, and then collecting them in the grade I wanted it. You know, I just, <laughs> I'm kind of, uh, kind of drinking the Kool-Aid of, uh, you know, of, of Bob Swick, you know, where I'm like, I don't need a, I don't need a label. I don't need a flip to tell me what to collect. I, uh, yeah, I, I started yeah. selling off some of these ugly PSA eights and picking up a really, really nice PSA six or seven. And, uh, I'm a much happier collector. Well, I'll tell you, anybody who knows me knows my, my dislike for greeted stuff. And I don't want to spend the entire show talking about it. I could spend the rest of the afternoon till five o'clock tonight, uh, talking about it. But anyways, you know, <laughs> a card, a card has to be appealing to you. I'm going to be the first one to admit a lot of my cards in my collection were the beaters of the beaters, but they got good stories behind them, and I will keep them yeah. forever. 
And I go back to my trickle set. I said to myself, if I can put yep. a set together in GVG condition, I'm perfectly happy with it. I'll tell you, 90% of my cards were GVG. I had a handful of cards that were X or maybe near mint, which I was shocked. Uh-huh. The third time I, I sold them off how much I got for them. Uh, I, I, I was just shocked about the whole thing. But again, I, I don't play the I don't play the great game. And as anybody knows, the only cards I got graded in the collection are the 1894 Mayos and the only reason mm-hmm. why I got them graded is because I like the way they look in those black SGC holders. As far as the Without great doubt. numbers are concerned, great numbers are ridiculous on that set. I, 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 got, I got a 40 that should be a 10. I got a 10 that should be a 40. I mean, it's ridiculous uh-huh. as far as I'm concerned. So I would agree with what you're saying. You know, be more savvy on what you're collecting. You know, people always say buy buy the best card that you can afford. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. Also, buy the most pleasant looking card you can you can afford. Also, it does not have to be graded. You know, I I really yeah. believe that. You know, and we we yeah, we've got off on this on the forty eight forty eight leaf trim cards and all that, and we have talked mm-hmm. about that. You know, to a great team in the past. But again, for the thirty five chickle set. To me, it's almost an impossible set to to collect in a very high grade. They're just not yeah. out there. They're just not out out there. Well, and I think uh, you know the you know the card doctors have figured out how to oh, uh, yeah. you know the the chickle set uh, you know the dimensions of the chickle set are a little wanky you know just like the uh, the forty eight leaf set is. So I mean they're you know the two of the most you know pr- prone sets to card doctors are the chickle and the leaf set. Uh, I'm, I'm sure card doctors have got a hold of other sets, but these two sets are the one you have to be wary of, of, you know, of card doctors slipping one by the goalie. Right. Uh, so don't, don't, don't buy the flip, educate yourself. I mean, and, and I found that with my leaf set too, I was starting to get frustrated with, you know, really crappy trimmed PSA eights, PSA seven slipping through. So I sold that off. And, and now most of my collection is PSA six and seven, but fat bordered mm-hmm. PSA six and seven. And this set's the same. I mean, it's, uh, um, right. it's very interesting. Right. So, I mean, I have to get the plug in. I mean, if, if any of our listeners out there know of or have any idea where I can find an uncut 35 chickle, you can email me at uh, FAOTW at hotmail.com uh, and I will immediately respond to you. 35 chickle uncut sheets. That's my plug. Pretty please. And if, it, um, it'll look amazing if, hanging on my wall. And you can contact us through the magazine too. We'll be more than happy or you can call us too. We'll, we'll be more than happy to, to, to broker this incredible deal that could be possibly coming next year. <laughs> we get a thirty-five. Like yeah, like, to me, like to me, it would, probably to me it would be. <laughs> to me, it would just be incredible for you to, to pull down that sheet. That'd be uh, yeah. an amazing find, to say the least. So, that, that's yeah, but, uh, something something to be looking forward to, to say the least. And again, yeah. it also think, whets my appetite. Should for the fourth time round, I start putting together the set again. And uh, I don't know. I have. I have <laughs> I have I have three pickups in my collection, as I tell everybody. The fifty two Bowman Large, which I still mm-hmm. have probably half the set sitting downstairs, not doing anything. I've still got the Mayos that I'm I'm pretty stagnant on. I, I haven't been winning many mm-hmm. bids on them. And the thirty five chips. Those are the three the three last sets to say I actually have the uh, mainstream run. Of football cards that the Mayo's one day I will finish. I'm still hoping locally here to find them at a fleet at a flea market. In fact, when I emailed you uh, earlier, I said to you, I got to run out. There was a couple of state sales locally. I ran in and ran out. I didn't find anything as far as sports stuff was concerned. 
but I didn't realize how close they were to the house here. So I said, let me go, go see what I could find. If I could find, you know, the uh, Dunlop card. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Three of them <laughs> in a mixed box uh, or whatever for five bucks. That's, or whatever. That's, yeah, the yeah, the, that's the beauty of the East Coast, Bob, <laughs> is you, there's so much history. People people were buying stuff and hoarding in attics before, oh, yeah. before Portland yeah. was, yeah. Uh, you know, a pimple. I mean, Portland's been around yeah. a long time, but... An old house here in Portland is like 1910, 1920, and that's an old house. Uh, so you're not going to yeah. find many T206 cards, you know, jammed in an attic of a house that was built in, you know, 1915. <laughs> so, well, we got we got houses here in Wallingford from the 16 and 1700s. So, and I've been to several tax sales there, and, uh, and I, they're truly amazing what you see. Not just sports yeah. stuff, but other other items. Well. Yes. Our guest is ready, and I'd like to introduce him now. Our guest tonight was He's born been in ready Louisiana since 6 a.m. <laughs> and raised in Mobile, Alabama. Scotty attended the United States Military Academy and graduated in 2002. He commissioned, was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Engineers Division. He's been stationed in Texas, Missouri, Hawaii, New York, Italy, and currently is stationed in Los Angeles with the United States Army Corps of Engineers. He's had deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. He's earned his master's degree from Columbia University in New York City in 2011 in organizational psychology, married with three young children. I'd like to welcome to our show, Mr. Scotty Oten. Scotty, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's uh, it's really an honor to be on the show. I've been listening for a while, so it's great to, to finally be here. Now, I'd like to remind our listening audience, Scotty had an incredible article uh, in the last issue mm-hmm. of Aaron Greats on, on Army and Navy uh, programs and, and memorabilia items and history of the game. And i I got to say this. I do have a handful of Army-Navy programs in my collection. I've always, uh, if I ever see them at a show, I normally pick them up. I know quite a few people here on the East Coast and still collect them. And uh, I, I got to say this, uh, your, your first half of your article was incredible, and I know a lot of readers are waiting for your second half for the national issue, so we're looking forward to it. But it was, it was an excellent article, so informative. The uh, images that you had of the programs were, were phenomenal also. How did you get started in collecting Army Navy football memorabilia and programs? You know, it, it really started probably, uh, you know, when I was a young child and just uh, the the collecting bug. My my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, you know, they were all collectors. Um, and, and not so much sports, but my family is all, collect, you know, guns, coins, stamps. And, and my, my great-grandfather and grandfather were the, the person who the, the kids and the families always brought oddball items. So anytime I went to their house, it was just, it was like going to a museum. And uh, and they taught me pretty early wow. on that you know it's not collecting the hoard it's it's collecting for the preservation of the history and so I was always getting a a history lesson every time I visit them. Um, you did, and yeah, that just gave me goosebumps, Scotty. I, I like that. That is such a great outlook on it. it preservation that that literally just gave me goosebumps. Love it. So, so when I you know I was I was fortunate to attend uh, West Point and. And from the first day you arrive at West Point, you, you just get pounded in your head the importance of the Army-Navy game, and, and beat Navy is, is on every wall and at every turn. And, uh, you know, that, that game has such a special meaning to cadets. Uh, 
and, and as you go to those games, you realize, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's more than football. I mean, you've got, you know, just the stadium full of people. They're all cheering. It's, it's a love of game. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance. And, and you start to learn as a cadet very early on how just the nation and the world use that game as a chance to kind of break away. And, you know, it's not about vying for NFL contracts or, or anything. It's just about coming together, you know, on the battlefield of the football field and, and, uh, you know, our, our military uh, cadets and members from around the world just, just watch that game and get excited about it. So that really kind of started it for me. Um, and I think what really kicked it off, I was, I was on an assignment in Texas, and I, I just kind of got to thinking about, you know, the old Army-Navy programs. I'd had, those, I'd had the ones from when I was a cadet. I kept those in, uh, you know, they're that, that, that late 90s, early 2000s football program. It's just pictures. You know, you got a couple pictures of players. So I was kind of wondering about the earlier ones, and I started looking them up, and I found the pictures of the 20s and 30s, and it's just this beautiful Art Deco covers very uh cartoony and it's it's got just a great you know those old flapper looking feel to it uh and the first one i i was fortunate enough to buy i bought it on ebay uh, you know probably the first time i used ebay it was a 1922 army navy program and uh it's just uh, that cart it was a you know a west point cadet and an annapolis cadet and they were vying for the attention of this of this girl on the cover and it just had this really beautiful look to it uh, and i was I I remember winning it at at a what what I considered a very fair price. Uh, I was I was fortunate, you know, to have that something at that time, you know, a little over 80 years old. And when I received it, I started looking through it and just reading the history of the yeah. game and history from that time. I I think I was hooked. And um, I I moved to West Point. I was fortunate to be stationed at West Point while I went to grad school. I, we lived on post, and I traveled to school. And and so. West Point, what a lot of people may or may not know, is actually the it's the oldest military museum in the nation. You know, as these right. general right. officers would would travel back from their you know tours from around the world, they would just give their stuff to West Point. So it's got a lot of great military history um, displayed and in storage. But as I went through the archives, I found very little that dealt with the Army Navy game, and so. I, I kind of drew back to that childhood experience that, you know, you've got the greatest museum in the, in the nation and they, they're, they're terrible at preserving their own kind of sports history. Um, and so I, I kind of felt a calling. Past. I've heard that in the past, that they, they haven't done a bang up job as far as uh, preserving their, their sports memorabilia and the like. I'm surprised about that. I really am. Yeah, it was it was really disappointing. I mean, you know, it was aside from a couple of scrapbooks here or there that, uh, you know, that would have some some pieces in it. They just didn't really. Uh, and so I felt called to kind of, you know, preserve that aspect of history. So I really went on a tear to, to start pulling in programs throughout the years. And I yeah. was fortunate to find a, a partner in crime that felt the same way. And he, he kind of picked up the program and I started going after the tickets. And then that was really where I found my bug was in the tickets. I loved I just love the difference of the tickets and uh, and, and your and ticket collection is pretty that. amazing, Scotty. Uh, you have full ticket stubs, uh, you know, in your collection. I mean, which are incredibly hard to find. I mean, you have hundred and you know, hundred and ten year old full ticket stubs that that are just amazing. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I, I uh, I'm, I'm ex Navy. I'm not sure if you knew that from previous shows. So I took the liberty of looking at a couple of the stats of the Army Navy game here. Obviously, Navy won the first one in 1890, 24 to nothing. 
trouncing on a hapless army team. <laughs> and uh, in the 100 games, Navy has won 73, Army 27. That's just my math. I, I could be <laughs> off by about 20 or 30. 20 or 30. Uh, a game wasn't played in 1917 or 18. Obviously, it looks like for World War One. They played through World War Two, 41 through 45, which I found interesting. But they there was no game in 1928, 1929. Why? Why not 28 and 29? What was significant about that? They, uh, yeah, that's uh, you know World War One really you know put a pause. Uh, the the academic department mm-hmm. felt that football would distract from you know the the drive and focus of the cadets supporting the war effort. But interestingly enough, you know at that that mid twenties time frame, uh, both Army and Navy football really started getting a lot of national attention. I mean that was uh, college football was was the premier entertainment of that time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and the Army Navy game was drawing a hundred thousand plus uh, uh, spectators every year I mean it was really a huge draw and uh, what what has happened though was there was a change in eligibility of playing requirements Um, and so the the Navy adopted uh, what was at the time a I believe a three-year eligibility so a, a freshman couldn't play he could he could dress up but couldn't play but then he was eligible to play his sophomore junior and senior year whereas army didn't have the eligibility requirement they still had to sit out their freshman year but if they came from another school uh, where they had played college football they were still allowed to play their three full years and it and it really caused a lot of dissension between army and navy uh, and and they just couldn't come to an agreement navy definitively said we refuse to play anyone that doesn't have the same eligibility requirements as us. Um, and that the army said, no, we're not, we don't, we're not going to bend. We, we believe, you know, army has a big thing about treating all cadets equally. And so, you know, why would I allow one cadet to play three years, but not another? And, uh, and, and they couldn't come to an agreement. They came to an impasse and it was actually Interesting. Uh, the president to the academies right after the stock market crash. Um, in 1929, at the you know at the end of 1929, beginning of 1930, and said, "Hey, I would really appreciate if you guys would play an exhibition game. It doesn't have to count as your regular season, um, and and it'll be a charity game. And I, I want all the proceeds to go to the unemployment fund." Uh, and they both uh-huh. agreed. They felt that you know that was for the greater cause of the nation. When the president asks you to do something, you kind of you definitely need to yeah. listen. And and the game Commander the game was a sellout. Yeah, the game was a sellout. I mean, it, it raised a, a phenomenal amount of money uh, for the unemployment fund, and, and it kind of re-sparked that, that rivalry. And so they did it one more year in 31 as an exhibition, and then the, from that point forward, the, the game was back on. I noticed most of these were at Franklin Field earlier on. Man, talk about history. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, and so there's, you, a, I, there's a great piece in the article about how that, that all kind of got put into place with with Philadelphia and Franklin Field. That's I just I think it's a, a fascinating point of the history of it. So I I'm I'm looking at your collection. How do how do you narrow that down? What what would you say are like your top five items I mean in your collection? They don't have to be ticket stubs, just uh and oftentimes they're not. I mean I collect you know I'm known for kind of Steve Largent stuff, but uh, you know, the, the top five things in my collection, almost none of them have to do with Largent. So yeah. What what are your what are your favorite things? The uh, yeah, you know, I I I would probably say my um, you know to I couldn't rank order them, but you know that you talked earlier. I have an 1899 full ticket stub. It's the very first ticket to uh, to the neutral site. Um, 
you know, you're looking at a 118-year-old ticket that uh-huh. its sole purpose in life was to be torn in half. Yeah. And uh, and it's full. And I mean, you you got a game that was the demand for tickets was three to four times the amount of tickets printed. So just the fact that a full ticket and it's a uh, you know a PSA six, which you know just gives it you know, yeah. the idea of the quality there. It's it's unbelievably hard to find. So that's definitely it's, one of my my highlights. Look, looks like it's admit uh, it's a reserved seat to William Biddle Jr. Have you ever tried to find out who that gentleman was and why he missed the game? <laughs> I did, you know, and it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, Google and Facebook didn't exist in 1899, and uh, but I did. I tried to look him up, and you know, with with no, uh, it would have been. I would have loved to see his story, and you know what happened. And and that's kind of the unique thing is that because the tickets were so in demand, and to you know their first attempt to try and limit what you know we later know as scalping and. They wrote the name yeah. on every single ticket uh, to know who it was wow. to. And I'd say, you know, I think my next one is uh, I've, I picked up a couple years back a, a West Point yearbook from 1894. And uh, this, wow. is, you know, this wow. is one of those, uh, it's about a, a foot thick because uh, it's just full of cabinet cards. Um, and so Holy it's probably boy. got 50 wow. patch cabinet cards in it of all the cadets of all the faculty of, of uh, sites around West Point of all the sports teams. So that's definitely an incredible piece. Um, is that, is that featured in your article coming up? It is not. No, I, um, I, I focus mostly on the army Navy side of it. Okay. Um, you know, we could probably do a, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's got a very, it's leather bound. It's got the big metal clasp on it. I mean, it's just very regal looking, um, for the time. The, uh, you know, one of the, the, the a recent one I picked up, that I just love it's, it's, and I, I don't know, it's a, uh, it's a 1950, uh, poster, a railroad poster that's advertising the army Navy game. You know, the, uh, wow. the amount of people that had to travel to the stadium for that, for those times. And it was a, it was a really big plug for the uh, Philadelphia railroads and all the others. And so I have a really, you know, beautiful orange graphics and, you know, that early fifties kind of focus on marketing and, and reaching. I just, I love it. It's, it's colorful. It's got the army Navy game. It's got football players on it. It's kind of all the stuff we love as collectors. Were those printed? Were those printed uh, like every year for like a short period of time? I vaguely remember reading something about those types of posters and their collectability. Do you know anything about them, Scotty? Not, not, not as much as I know others do. I, I know they were okay. special right. printed because uh, they, or at least this one, it has the date on it. You know, and it's it's a special event. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen. Um, I've seen some of the broadsides for them. They're a little smaller. They would display them in the stores mm. just to advertise their tickets, you know, the, the train tickets yeah. or something along those lines. But this one, I mean, I could see that this one is either is in one of the rail cars, you know, as a, as a display or even in the station. It just, it's beautiful. The, um, you know, the other one, I think probably my, one of my next ones, I, um, I have a 1944 Army Navy Army Notre Dame uh, program, and, uh, and it's signed on the cover by Earl Blake. And uh, Earl Earl Blake is the iconic football coach uh, that that really put Army football on the map in the 40s and throughout the 50s. And uh, he played played for Army uh, in the early 20s. Uh, was there, um, you know, when 
um, MacArthur was the superintendent. Him and MacArthur became very good friends. And uh, just, uh, you know, they, they call him the colonel. And, I mean, he just ran a tight ship. And, and you know, Army picked up um, uh, two national championships under him. They've had two Heisman, three Heisman wow. Trophy winners while he was at the realm. You know, Pete Dawkins, Glenn Davis, Doc Blanchard, really iconic names all kind of learned their way. Yeah. Um, Vince Lombardi was one of his assistants coaches and yep. you can kind of yep. say he, he put Vince kind of on the path really, yeah. uh, you know, and, and the reason I love this program is, um, the, the 44 army Notre Dame program, the game is army, army crushed Notre Dame 59 to nothing in this game. Uh, wow. it actually rates as Notre Dame's worst loss in their entire program history. And, um, you know, what's neat is, is 1944, the, the war was really at its height. And so you had service members who, you know, diehard Army fans, diehard Notre Dame fans, they were listening all around the world uh, to this game. Mm-hmm. And it was so impactful to the troops, and everyone listened to it so much that they would, they would use this game as a way to test <laughs> if, if soldiers were a spy. And so if they felt that you know, they weren't sure if you were a U.S. soldier or not. They would they would ask you to score the game because obviously, if you didn't know the score of the game, there's no way you were an American. You were a spy. Uh, and I just I love that. I love that history. I love how that all ties together. Maybe you're a hockey uh, hockey guy. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's actually funny. No, so. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my last piece, I, uh, I picked it up about two weeks ago. It's, it's really important. You know, it's just great for me. My, my oldest son, I took him to his, his first baseball game uh, about three weeks ago. It was Dodgers Cardinals, and he's, uh, he's seven. And it, it was uh, very first Major League Baseball game, first time in a stadium of that size. I mean, just his, watching his eyes the whole time. It was, it, was a, it was an incredible experience to share that with him and see how he's just loved it. He's asked me almost every day since when he can go back. So I have the, I have the oh, ticket cool. to program to that game and, you know, just to keep that and give that to him at some point in the future when he, he kind of appreciates it. Wow. Scotty, in your estimation, what is the most difficult item you ever collected for your collection? The, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I, you mentioned earlier, I have, I have a solid run of army Navy tickets, uh, 1899 to present. I have them all PSA graded. I, I mean, I know you got mm-hmm. your critics, uh, but it, but for me, it's a way to, to preserve no, and, I, and showcase, you know, I don't, I, yeah. I grade, you know, imagine I grade the, most of my tickets. I, 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 yeah. I, I don't, there's grading for grading and then there's grading for protection and for, you know, for provenance. I mean, I, I get a lot of my older tickets slabbed just to protect them from the elements. And so that, you know, when I hand it to someone, when they're like, what's this, you know, it's easily identifiable. I mean, yeah, no, I, no, I think, I think Bob has an aversion to grading, you know, because of the subjectiveness of it, uh, you know, not, not for provenance like this. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't I, you. No, absolutely. Story, and I don't focus. Sorry. Sorry. My tickets in, um, you know, sheets and top loaders on the white, and, but I, I'm pretty much aware of what my, you know, the historical significance of my real early tickets from the 1900s, mm-hmm. late 1800s, that, that type of thing. So, but I also understand why why people get greedy because you do want to preserve them, so on and so forth. I just hope down the road that the, you know, the encapsulation of the plastic or whatever doesn't have any impact on the ticket itself. As much as there's mm-hmm. all guarantees that they won't, to me, I don't, I don't see how anything could be guaranteed like that. You know what I mean? 
but I do understand why people do it. You know, I, you know, even though I I dislike strongly graded items, <laughs> especially uh, the, the the one thing is that somebody asked me, do they grade programs? I said, why would you want to get a program graded and you can never read it? it it's so illogical for me. It's not even funny. But go ahead, Scott. Yeah. I no, I I'm with you. I couldn't see that. So. Uh, but if you look at my, if you, if you would see my the PSA series for Army Navy, you'd see, you, you know, I have the there's uh, 1890, 1894s missing. I, you know, I, I those tickets may or may not even exist. I don't know. Um, but I have a I have a hole right there at 1919, and uh, that ticket just eluded me for for years and years and years. I I never saw one. I never saw a picture of one. I never saw a reference to one to any obscure catalogs or auctions or anything. I wow. just could not find it. And then actually not too long ago, about four or five months ago, there was a, um, a scrapbook sheet that hit eBay. Um, it had four Army Navy tickets in, on it and some other, some other items. And so I started really kind of examining it. And I saw it had um, one <laughs> 1920 stub, two 1921 stubs, and then this other stub on there. And right next to the stub was a was a dinner menu. The cadets used to go to a dinner right before the game. Was a dinner menu to the 1919 game. And I said, Oh, here it is. This is it. I I, I found it. Uh, and I'm really studying the stub on the front. There's no there's no dates. There's no identifications. It 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 has the right look. Has the exact look of all the tickets do. It's got that polo grounds look to it. Um, uh-huh. So I, I said I got to take a chance. I, I may never see one again. Yeah. So I bought it. Uh, I was able to win it and I uh, got it in. I was really examining it. Couldn't find anything. I was thinking maybe it was faded. So I made a decision. I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta soak these off. I gotta, I, I can't not know. You know, maybe it's on the back because uh, they used to put the date on the back, uh, kind of inscribed in that tick, that you know. Um, banknote style and uh, so I soaked the 20 and 21 off just to, to test the paper it came off great uh, no problem you know that old water water soluble glue and, and I, I said here we go this is I, I was really nervous you know whether I was going to damage it or what I was going to find <laughs> so I I soaked off the ticket of the 1919 I, I I cleaned it up you know it came off great and I was looking I was examining it and it was all it has on the back is driving directions on how to get to the stadium so I was just, I was just, you know, I, I have this beautiful stub. I'm 99% sure it's from the 1919 game, and I have no way of proving it. And so the irony there for you, Bob, is I can't get it graded. It's got no identification, uh, identification marks. The uh, PSA won't grade it without any kind of provenance. I've, uh, Scotty, um, I found SG, SGC to be pretty, um, pretty cool about that stuff. Uh, I had a ticket. Right. Or ditto, ditto, not a lot of markings on it. And I went through and did, uh, you know, I, I went through and did my homework. I found other, you know, uh, other tickets that looked exactly like it that PSA had graded, et cetera. And I, I, I printed, I think I had like six pages of color printing, and then I hand wrote on, on there, you know, why I thought this was this ticket and sent it to uh, SGC, and they graded it. I, I know it's not your uh, – but oftentimes I've found we know more about these, you know, esoteric sets than, than the people than our, you know, than our slab masters do, you know, it's so. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, um, I need to check that out. I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard about that. And I, I do want to try and get it 
you know, at least to protect it, as we said. And, you know, that, that kind of bothers me about grading. So if, if there's nothing on the ticket, in theory, then the grader can't make a decision. Well, to me, at the same time, it doesn't really make sense that the the you know even if you do provide all the material to it, the grader still doesn't take your word for it that you've done all the research on it one way or the other. So that that's an issue to me as far as far or, or a thing I dislike about the grading. I do agree with what Joe is saying though that uh, the SGC grading they will you know if you do do your homework they will grade it type of thing. So um, but I'll tell you I I would. I would help you with your certification of it too, because I have never seen a 1919 uh, ticket stub myself. If yeah. you have that kind of that kind of providence to it, I, I don't see why would, they want to consider it. You know what I mean? You know what? A, you know what so, a 1918? I mean, you know what a 1921, 20, and 21 looks like. So therefore, you know, it, it, to me, it's just it's, it's still in the realm of what what you actually have. Here, yeah. So. Yeah, if you send in those those ticket stubs that they slapped, uh, yeah, yeah, you know more about this than they do. Uh, sorry to get off topic there, but you know it, that I I, I I struggled with a ticket uh, that I that I you know from like uh, 1913 or 14, I forget that I I was pretty sure Jim Thorpe had played him, and mm-hmm. it, uh, no, it just no. it took me a while to prove it, but I was able to I, I was able to get me to the point where I'm like I'm 99 percent sure this is the ticket, uh, you know. So, yeah. No, that's great. I appreciate that. I'll I'll look into that. Um, and then the uh, the only other one, the smaller item, I, I've I've uh, you know I've always I've had my eyes set on the you know, I don't know if you know the Bristow Adams posters. I, I love those those early posters. And there's the West Point uh, one with the uh, you know that leather leather helmet football player standing in front of the academy. It's, uh, I've I've seen a couple at auction. I know there's one at the West Point Museum. Uh, on display, I just uh, I, I haven't seen any hit, um, so I've always had my eye out for that. That's kind of my my attainable white whale that I've been looking for for a few years. Thanks. So there's always that stories that go along with this. You know, I, I I joke around about me running down an airport gangway to get Steve Largent's autograph, but uh, you know the, the stories <laughs> that go with this collecting are half the fun. You know, it's kind of like you just talking about finding that ticket. What what what, what uh, I think you add a military mix to this, the Army Navy stuff that you're you're focusing on, and there's got to be some good stories for you know how you how you came across in your items. The uh, yeah, I mean it's you know it, as you know you you kind of scour uh, every aspect you can. Uh, you go to the like you know Bob mentioned the estate sales. You watch eBay. You watch the yeah. auctions, and I think a bulk of our our stuff is found that way. Uh, you know really. What I what I love about it, you know, is probably not how it's found, but the military connection. I I had uh, you'll see it in the upcoming one. I had a full ticket to the uh, '62 game uh, that was that was preserved for the the president's seats. And what I found was it it was the wow. it was his military aides ticket, um, <laughs> and it had it came with wow. photos. And I just I I love you know kind of how the uh, the military is is part of that sports history and um, and, and tying into it and and I have uh, a couple of early tickets that um, you know they believe uh, was was kind of part of, of Roosevelt's staff 
and uh, in, in military aid at the time. And so anytime kind wow. of the president goes to those tickets, he's got his, you know, his military generals in tow. And, you know, they're going to want to be where the commander in chief is. And so, you know, that's not often they're going to get, you know, tagged to say, hey, give me your tickets or I need to tear it. And so you kind of have these, these full tickets and these other items that, that have that military connection. So it's, it's great. You know, the other piece, too, is, is I run into players, you know, throughout the Army, whether they're still in the Army or not. I'm like, oh, man, I, I've seen you as a cadet in these programs. It's just it's awesome to, to know some of these players now and see them, you know, in my professional setting. Uh, but, cool. but no, they were on the field as a, as a cadet as well. That's got to be cool for them, too, to be like, you're kidding me. Yeah, I, I've always thought it'd be interesting. You know, if, you, if you're a player, if you're a professional player, you've probably seen just about everything out there. My, uh, my, my, my wife's sister is married to an ex-professional baseball player. And I've asked him a few times, you know, it's like, you know, have you seen everything out there? And he's like, he goes, you know, I've seen all my cards every once in a while, somebody will, every once in a while, somebody will uh, put something in front of me that I've never seen. He goes, that doesn't happen very often, but mostly it's magazines and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Love it. Scotty, I, I know you, um, you you sell programs, uh, football programs. Can you give us some background on our listeners, some information on that? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Joe, you mentioned earlier selling off your cards. I mean, it's kind of part our our interest change or we pick up lots. Yeah. We just need to fund our collections. And so I've, yeah. I've kind of gotten into selling programs. I think they're awesome. You know, it's a, so there's enough demand for it. And, a uh, buddy of mine, is, uh, his name's Jeff Garfunkel. He's over on the East Coast. I, I met him while I was at the academy and, and just one of the great people I've met through the hobby. Uh, he and I were presented an opportunity. I, we, we went in together and we just recently purchased a collection of about 11,000 sports programs. Um, wow. They span oh from the, the 1930s to the, to the 1990s. So no small undertaking there. And, uh, and we've... Just, I, Hang on, Scotty. I, I've got to ask: How is that is that an institution who had eleven thousand programs, or is that a collector? That is a horde. That's amazing. Yeah, it was it was a collector. Um, you know, wow. it, we actually bought it. Um, it. I believe it was a collector that had passed away, and his family had no idea what to do with it, and so that it was actually being sold uh, to the the family's lawyer. And um, we we had happenstance to to be nearby me here and kind of found it through. Uh, they were selling some of them on eBay. I reached out to them. They were selling an Army Notre Dame program, and I I bought it and reached out to him, asked him if he had more, and he sent me this list of about 40 of them. And I said, man, this is how do you you know what's what's going on? And just through that, we yeah, kind of found yeah. out he's got about you know over 10,000 available. Um, and isn't that exciting? There is a hobby story. Where it's like, you know, <laughs> hey, do you got any more of these? Yeah, here's a list of 40. You're like, holy, oh, okay. And, you know, the, the butterflies and stuff, it's like, what do I got here? I, I grabbed the tiger by the tail. I love that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's great. It's basketball. It's college football. And, you know, so college and pro basketball, college football, pro football, little bit of hockey and baseball, not very much. Um, I mean, the guy was definitely a basketball football guy. And, just digging wow. through it and, and listing, you know, we list through our eBay stores. I, I opened a new store, uh, MVP Sports Auctions. My uh, buddy Jeff, he lists through his store, mostly basketball, his cool. sports mags, uh, sport mags. And, um, you know, so we, 
which great. We, we're we're putting up 10, 20, or 20, 30 items a week, you know, just trying to dig through it, inventory it, and figure out what we have. But it's, it's in some ways it's overwhelming when you're looking at, you know, 190 to 100 sorter boxes full of programs. Yeah, no kidding. How do you pick those up, too? I mean, I, I talked earlier about how cumbersome, you know, uncut sheets are. I mean, I, I can't even imagine the magnitude of what 11,000 programs weigh, you know, how they smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a very, uh, a very loving and patient wife, uh, <laughs> especially in a, in a, I think in a, uh, in a job that a moves me. Yeah, especially in a job that moves me every three years, as I think your last guest mentioned. So it's it's a it's a game right now. The, the wow. most I ever bought at what most I ever bought at one time uh, was helping somebody. Just like you're saying, the collector passed away. The family didn't know what to do with it deal with the stuff. They had about 1,200 uh, sport magazines, programs, all sports, and I bought them all. And it was, you know, I just asked them. They had them in totes with the plastic covers. I said, I'll pay extra for the totes. I can't repack all this stuff. I said, no, 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 no. Take, <laughs> no totes. Take everything. Just get it out of here. Type of one. And uh, yeah. that, that was a massive load. I, I distinctly remember that. That was uh, uh, a lot. But 11,000 is is massive it's huge how did you uh, that's get those a lot of logistically because i've talked to a couple like you know john spano uh, you know at uh, bsg and he's like oh no no we rent a u-haul and haul i mean right, it's right. Just, sometimes it's how how'd you pick that up scott uh, now, I, now i'm just curious logistic wise how, how the hell that happens yeah you know it's i was lucky because the 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 lawyer the seller was only about an hour and a half away oh. from me hour hour and a half and so I've got three kids. I, I took the seats out of my Honda Odyssey and and uh, trucked over, you know, assessed it, and I think it ended up being two two and a half trips uh, back and forth to Odyssey. I was worried about the axles for a little while, but it, but it held up great. I bought wow. a uh, 1988 uh, football wax packs from a collector in Seattle once. I know, don't laugh. <laughs> uh, from a guy in Seattle, he posted up on the CU boards that he had like 200 boxes, uh, you know, of, and I'm like, sure, uh, meet me halfway, meet me in Centralia, Washington, which is halfway between Portland and I took my Ford Bronco up there and, and I, I don't know what I thought. I, I obviously didn't think about it, but I had no idea how much that was, how much it weighed. He showed up with a trailer class <laughs> cover and, and I'm putting this stuff, bucking seats down and, yeah, my my car looked like a pregnant rat driving down the road. You know the uh, the you know the back end dragging. You know you have no idea what that stuff weighs or except I was naive about it. Yeah. So just just like the Steve Largent rookie card isn't founded on the East Coast, that's another reason why there's no 1988 cups wax boxes that can be found <laughs> on the East Coast. Joe has them in Portland, Oregon. Scotty, we're almost out of time. Any other final thoughts that you could tell our listeners? Uh, no, guys, thanks. Thanks for having me on it, it. You know, I really enjoyed the articles for the the magazine. I, I encourage your, your readers to to pick them up, just learn a little bit about the history and, and kind of how Army Navy scoped the the football field, uh, the, the changes and even politically. And so it's a it's a great series. Yeah. It's America's game. And, and I love it. I will point out yeah. too that is on my bucket bucket list. I need to get to see one game in person before I go. And, uh, I, I got to try to arrange it. And as I get older, I keep saying to myself, I really got to get to one of these games. And uh, I know it's a hot ticket, but uh, hopefully I'll 
I'll score one Scotty, down the road and, and be innocent. Scotty, I've got to confess. Earlier I said it was Navy 73, Army 20. I, I confess I embellished those numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't tell at all. Okay. <laughs> Scotty, thank you for being on, and I look forward to the second part of the article, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you for being on. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Scotty. Now our goal line stance, we're down to four minutes. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. What did we learn on the show today? I had an epiphany while Scotty was talking. He was talking about his dad and his grandfather who, when he went and visited them, he said going down you know, into their collecting rooms was like a museum, and they talked about preserving history. I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't kidding when I said that gave me goosebumps because – Oftentimes, us collectors don't tubes and boxes and, uh, and, and you know, locks behind doors to protect them. And, uh, and if you're not enjoying what you collect, then why are you collecting, uh, you know? And that I, I have a pretty good display of my stuff. I have untouched sheets and ticket stubs, you know, from the first Seahawk win at my office. Uh, I do a pretty good job displaying my stuff, but I could definitely do better. And, you know, in, in one sentence, Scotty, you know, you know, made me think about that, and I just need to do a better job of that. Well, I think we we all we all, especially true collectors, feel they are preserving history, and again, trying to display yeah. that history becomes very challenging. I know I I have a lot of problems displaying just because of, of space constraints and you know how I store things and the like. And yeah. for me, one of my greatest enjoyments at night some nights is just to pull out a real old program and reread it and and, and just reread the history again of the game and, and what happened in the game, the players and the like, so on and so forth. They're pulling out an old uh, Street and Smith from the 40s, let's say, and just rereading the, the, the preseason picks and all that. I just find it fascinating because you're reading history all the time. And, and again, as we go paperless in 2017 more and more, it's going to be mm-hmm. tough preserving that history because then we're going to have a cyber history, which I'm not all overly choked up about. But at the same time, the old paper is still, to me, very rare. Without a doubt, it's going to become. It's only going to become well, even more rare. Well, look at look at time look at Scotty on. here. There, look at Scotty. I mean, look, look at his collection. He is collecting the ticket stubs and his partner's collection programs from every Army Navy game. Dating back, you know, time he he's got ninety nine percent of her ninety whatever. Of course, uh, I, I I can't think of anybody else who puts that together. And once these sets are assembled, they are history. You know, he's made history. Right. I mean, I've right. mentioned before, and you know that I'm trying to collect every program and every ticket stub of every college game Red Grange ever played. Uh, right. And I've got spreadsheets and checks and this and that. I mean, and that you know, it's a weekly search on eBay, and every once in a while, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. I mean, I thought I'd found one last yeah. week. Uh, you know, and I ran down to my collection and, oh, no, God, dang it. You know, it's probably been six, eight months since I've, you know, I've checked the box, you know, on that spreadsheet. Right. But once right. this is assembled, I mean, think about that. Once this is assembled, it's like every ticket stub from Army-Navy, every ticket and program for every college game Red Grange played home and away. I mean, these are, and once they're assembled, they're pretty amazing pieces themselves. Great. Right, and it's an incredible collection you have there with Grange. I mean, that that is you know a one-on-one as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're, it's not out there. It's a, it just does not exist. So you know you are preserving history, and I and I would say probably 99% of our readers and listeners are preserving history, and that's yeah. what it's all about. And and to keep keep 
keep the word of the game alive, keep the, the men who played the game, um, yeah. their names alive, and respect what they did on the field. Uh, and especially Army-Navy is even more focused because, uh, you know, many of these men gave their lives in, in service to our country, and we can't forget that. Joe, we're almost out of time, down to 30 seconds real quick. We're sponsored by MSB Sports Cards. Again, check their website out, msbsportscards.com and BST Auctions, their website, bstauctions.com. We'll be back with our second show toward the end of the month. Joe, thank you for being on. We had a great show today, uh, very, very informative. Uh, Scotty was a great guest. And uh, yeah. it's just amazing. I, I'm I'm just in awe of a collection like this. It's just incredible. Yes. And again, yeah. every time I say I've seen the best collection, I see an, an even better collection. <laughs> an even better collection. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at the end of the month. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Thanks, Joe. We'll be talking. Take it easy, Captain. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.